Good afternoon and welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Now, due to a crash on the local road, the Glenside southbound off-ramp is closed. This is State Highway 1, Glenside southbound. Uh, there you go, a crash. So uh, please use an alternate route. We'll keep you up to date on that. Well, this might interest you as you plan the drive home. There are plans to massively increase the number of cameras on our highways and more than triple the number of tickets issued each year to three million. NZTA Waka Kotahi is also planning to increase the number of cameras on our roads from the current 150 fixed and mobile cameras to around 800. Traffic cameras have traditionally been managed by the police, but the role is shifting to NZTA. Cameras will be more visible, visible with fixed cameras clearly signed and mobile cameras used in a more covert general deterrence mode, said a Wakakotahi privacy impact assessment. So how do you feel about four times the number of speed cameras? To explain for us what it entails, we have Wakakotahi's regulatory strategic program lead, Tara McMillan. Tara, good to have you here. Thanks for having me, Wallace. It's a massive increase, isn't it? Can you explain the rationale behind it? Yeah, look, so so first and foremost, um, safety cameras are a really important and cost-effective enforcement tool that get used alongside other road safety tools. Ultimately, uh, we're looking to get New Zealanders to where they need to get to safely. So currently, though, and I and I, I just want to, to, to reiterate that we are currently only focused on the establishment of a safety camera uh, operation to support a total of around 200 yeah. um, cameras. So that's made up of the 150 cameras um, being transferred gradually from from police and that'll kick off mid-deck this year. It's a mix of fixed cameras, mobile and red light cameras and in the meantime we are working at uh, looking at site selection and site constructions for around up to 50 new camera sites. Now I've got to, I've got to stress that any additional cameras will be absolutely dependent on direction from, from the government via their government policy statement on the land transport system and that's currently being drafted. Yes, and is the Transport Minister happy about the number of speed cameras? I think the Transport Minister has been really clear that, it's, that he supports um, speed enforcement and sees cameras as, as an important um, tool. Um, currently, the government's obviously going to have to prioritise uh, where investment goes, and, and that's the purpose of that government policy statement. That will give us the direction we'll need, and, and from that point, uh, we will look to deliver efficiently and, fit and, and, and effectively on what those priorities are. Before we get to our um, panel, Tara, um, what's the projection? How many lives is it projected? to save. Oh, look, um, we, we are doing a whole lot of modelling and, and it will depend on the number of cameras that will directly um, trans, translate into the number of, of deaths um, avoided and serious, serious injuries avoided. Um, the the modelling around that, that 800 camera, which will be absolutely dependent on investment um, available, um, would, would look to save around 130 lives um, per year. Um, and that was, that was a whole lot of modelling we did around what the cost um, and the benefit. And it's really important that, 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 that New Zealanders know that benefits are measured in lives saved and serious injuries um, avoided. It's about keeping them safe on the roads. Let's go uh, to our guest, Jenny Morton. Your questions or thoughts? I'm well. I, I'm all in favour of speed enforcement and, of course, lowering um, injury and death on our roads. The question that always comes up when these th- sorts of things are talked about is 
is the threat of um, infringement notices and fines enough to slow down the people who don't really seem to care right now? Does it make oh, a difference? Jenny, yeah, so, so we get that question a lot. Mm. Um, and the really important factor here is you can't have speed enforcement working in isolation. So we, we always talk about a combination of different um, tools in the toolkit that we need to look at. So we need to look at infrastructure on our roads. We need to look at, um, look at speed, the actual speed setting. We need to look at enforcement. Enforcement is a necessary evil in reminding people on, on what we expect and, and for good reason. So it's, and some people need that, that little, that little um, incentive or disincentive to, to actually Actually, um, you know, remind themselves that that, that speeding is, is not a factor, and unfortunately, um, speed is currently a factor in just about every death and serious injury. We are not uh, twenty foot tall and, and, and bulletproof. Uh, we are extremely vulnerable, and and that speed will dictate the level of, of, of impact if, in fact, a crash occurs, and, and 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 whether people can walk away from that crash. Yeah, but a feedback here, as you can imagine, what are you and Chris? Well, Tara, um, to make it work, uh, as you well understand, uh, you need social licence. And it's a really tricky balance between actually enforcement, what actually fines people, and actually ensuring, as you said, that people get to their destinations safely. And probably your view on that social licence is very much influenced by whether you know somebody who's actually been killed in a car crash. But for me, the question I'm posing is you're talking about reducing speed, and we know that reduced speed saves lives. But at the same time, as I understand, there's conversations about increasing speeds in the middle of our cities. And it would seem to me that social licence is about consistency. And I'm wondering if there's some mixed messages here. And the, and the second bit of the mixed message is the increase to 3 million tickets. Now there's 1.4 million people driving cars. That means that Wallace is going to get at least two. I'll get at least two. I wonder if this is more about revenue generation than it is actually about saving lives. That's the big question from all our listeners, Tara. Um, uh, is this a big revenue gathering thing? Oh, look, I can confidently tell you that this is not a revenue-generating exercise. And I'll just refer, refer back to benefits um, for the cost of cameras and are measured absolutely in lives saved and serious injuries avoided. Um, and whilst we, 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 we do the, the, the cost of... Of, well, we actually have to cost up what, what, what death looks like. You, you cannot effectively um, measure the impact on someone, and to your point, Chris, that has lost a loved one that has to support someone with lifelong injuries. You, you just can't put a, n- a number on that. Um, so cameras absolutely have a, have a role, role to play. Um, they, they do service us now. We have already have 150 cameras kind of operating by new, getting operated by New Zealand police at the moment. They make a difference. And the new cameras we are looking yeah, they're absolutely going to make it make a difference as as well. Um, it is about getting that balance right. Um, it, it is about um, a range of different different methods right. and, and measures. Um, safety cameras being just one part of it. You want to come back in? Yeah, Jenny. I, I'm sorry, Tara. I do understand exactly what you're saying. Um, as a driver, sometimes it seems to me that the cameras are basically in high revenue areas as opposed to high risk areas, and I think there's a distinction. And so I appreciate the care that you're bringing to this conversation, but it really is about getting that balance right between actually leading to genuine change in driver behaviour, which we do need, undoubtedly, but also um, there are some big numbers of revenue that are in the same statement that we're looking today. Three million tickets is a lot of revenue that's going to be raised from this, and arguably an indication that the policy's not going to work, because surely with success would look like less tickets being issued over time, rather than a, a threefold increase in tickets. 
Mm. So important to say that those those ticket numbers, the three million you're talking about, um, were high level planning estimates around what kind of operation would be required to support if in fact com- camera numbers um, went to the 800. What we are looking at for the 50 new new sites, for 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 example, um, are looking at the placement of new technology cameras, so average speed cameras, looking at the looking at a corridor approach to speed tra- treatment. Now for fixed cameras and average speed cameras, those are going to be highly visible for, for our drivers and the reason for that is we're locating them at high risk locations. We absolutely want drivers to slide to slow down um, at those high risk um, places. We're going to put that signage up. We want those, those slower speeds, particularly at those mm-hmm. locations. Yeah. One final comment from me, a lot of response we may come back to this topic actually. Critics do say that these measures will slow down the average driver, but the average driver isn't really the problem. Reckless speeding mm. by idiots are not going to be stopped by a speed camera. What would you say to that? Oh, look, I would say again, um, so cameras will, will play pay one part, but New Zealand Police will continue to play a, a, an ever-increasing role to, to treat that high-risk behaviour. They are out there will, and will continue to be out there on their, their road, road patrols and looking to, to, to call out that high-risk behaviour and make sure that that, that is a, addressed. Um, the, the, the other piece of this is, um, whilst we are absolutely focused around deaths and serious injuries, um, if we are getting a, a lower kind of a, average speed through some of these locations, we can reduce the number of, of, of crashes and that in turn will help keep New Zealand moving. Um, Very nice to have you on, Tara. Thanks for the explainer. I appreciate it. That's uh, Waka Kotahi's uh, NZTA Regulatory Strategic Programme lead. Needless to say, big big response on it. Here's a couple. On the speed cameras, I have asked for them to be installed in a long street with lots of families uh, with loud cars going over 100. Police said they were aware of the problem and would be there more often. Never see them. Cameras, please. Another one here. Excellent to have many more speed cameras. The fines need to be set like they are in Australia and the revenue should go to road maintenance. The potholes. These cameras should also identify people on cell phones. Sounds like you've been pinged a bit, Chris. So yes. That's what I took from your comments. Yeah, I have actually. I'm not not recklessly. In fact, I was wondering we could have cameras for two slow drivers. So we spend a lot mm. of time in Golden Bay, and actually, the average speed of people in Golden Bay is remarkably right. uh, below the, the the score, if you like. Such a big response. Here's another one: cameras in Kyber Pass. That's Auckland bus lanes are gushing revenue. That is not a safety situation. It's nine pm past four. We have Jenny Morton and Chris. Clark on the panel. Keep that feedback coming. Now the government is planning changes to immigration settings. New Zealand's population over the second half of last year grew at its fastest rate since 1946, putting our total population uh, at just over 5.3 million people. Finance Minister Nicola Willis says the door is currently open to too many low-skilled workers. As Professor Paul Spoonley said, we've just added 70,000 to Auckland's population in the last year. And in other news out just today, New Zealand's birth rate falls to the lowest since World War II. There were 19,000 more births than deaths last year, the lowest natural increase since 1943. With us is Len Cook, CBE, former government statistician of New Zealand, companion of the Royal Society of New Zealand, and a long-standing interest in population change. Len, nice to have you here. 
Thanks, Bob. Are you surprised by our super hot immigration numbers, Len? I'm I'm surprised at what's happened in the last couple of years. The scale, I mean, the the fact that the natural increase of the population of just under 20,000 is is only 20% or less of the net migration increase should be a matter of real concern to us in the sense that you know, we need to give people homes, children need teachers, we need to provide health care. There's a whole raft of services that evolve and develop because we have an ability to plan or project ahead what the population will be. The last few years has, must have made planning in all these areas extremely difficult. Well, I think that uh, that's why I read out um, Paul Spoonley's uh, piece there, Len, you know, just in Auckland, 70,000, that's in one year. And then I think of the emergency departments, I think of the services, I think of trying to find a rental, I think of trying to find a house. Population and statistics of population, it all adds into that pressure, doesn't it? Well, you might not recall, but in the in the late 1990s, when we trebled the share of the population growth that came from migrants, the Prime Minister Bolger had an immigration conference to discuss trends. The rates we've got now are four times that, and we don't seem to have anyone particularly worried about it. I mean, I was delighted that we actually had a cabinet minister in the end, whatever her political colours, that actually said we need to look and worry about this. Okay, so uh, you a, a big tick for a minister to say we need to look at this. That's interesting, isn't it, Jenny? That um, um, then Prime Minister Jim Bolger had a conference about uh, migration. Now it's four times more. Jenny. Yeah, it is really interesting, and I think uh, it's great to have a statistician on because I can ask this question: Is this not just the result of the fact that we had a couple of years with no? Um, migration really because um, of COVID. So we had the borders closed. So isn't, is not is this not something that we should be looking at over the sort of the past four years rather than just singularly looking at these big numbers in isolation? Well, I don't think we should look at any of these numbers in isolation. We've certainly seen the dip that we had in 2020, 2021 um, or 22 offset by that. But if you go back to 2014, for that whole average period, we've had more than twice the natural increase of the population coming in from uh, net increase from migration. So I'm, I'm really talking about a much longer run period. The fact that we've got this additional volatility um, makes planning even worse. Um, mm. But we should. Well, I, I think we need to be looking at that, 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 that the sh- significant shift that really happened about ten years ago. Right, Chris. Len, I was trying to get a sense of how big those numbers are. I think Dunedin is about 120, 130,000 yeah. people. I think we've added Dunedin to the population of New Zealand in, in the past year, which is, which is staggering uh, if that is the case. So clearly overheated numbers. But I wonder if there's a danger here in terms of potentially an overheated debate. I think the government has been very careful about talking about low-skilled migrants. But if you look at other parts of the world, this has quickly moved into almost one of the culture wars. You see that particularly in the UK and the US about immigration and so on. And that's, I think, something we need to avoid, uh, becoming a much bigger debate about immigration per se. And I say that because uh, I was involved in a campaign many years ago to increase the refugee quota from 750 to 1,500 people, along with a number of other organisations. Ultimately, we were successful. And behind that number, those 1,500 people, were people who have been severely traumatised. And for them, New Zealand was 
heaven. It offered peace, it offered community, it offered a place. And so in these discussions, there are the raw numbers, but actually behind those raw numbers mm. are real people and real stories. And it seems to me that's the balance that a government right. and openings debate up has to walk incredibly carefully. Lynn? I, I think if, what you have to look at also is the fact that from the late 50s, we've had roughly 60,000 births a year right through to even the current figures of nearly 57,000 are within that band that we've had, while our population has grown from 2 million to 5.5 million. So actually, uh, the the way in which we're generating our own younger workforce um, has declined considerably because, you know, we're seeing now advertisement trouble with police, defence, nurses, um, Mm. prison officers... Because we, 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 our own population isn't generating enough young people to fill those demands. Or you could say we're not educating the ones we've got well enough to fit those roles. Um, but there's, there's, huge, there's just a huge amount of the pressure on us now for immigration. simply comes from the ageing population. You know, until about 1980, the, million we, the last million we added to our population came from births. The last million that we're in the middle of adding to the New Zealand population now that's not coming from immigration is coming from those of us who are already there living a lot longer than we predicted would happen in 1960. And Len, isn't this the challenge? Is that we're getting grumpy about the Australians grabbing our nurses and our police that we train, but actually we're doing exactly the same thing from parts of the Pacific where we're recruiting nurses and, and other skilled workforce to actually fill our gaps. So this is a complex issue in terms of what are the right immigration settings in terms of who we invite into this country and the impact of what we do for the countries that we actually uh, draw immigrants from. Yes, well, I mean, for example, even in 2008, um, more than half the new registrations of nurses in New Zealand were of nurses not trained in New Zealand. Uh, And as you're aware, there are issues, are we occasionally stealing them from the Pacific, for example? Nurses from... Where we get people from, we're not always um, looking ethically um, very straight. Uh, which I think is your point. Len, it's really nice to have you on the programme. We'll have to have you back again. It's such a big issue. Before you go, one quick question. Do you think then if um, then uh, Prime Minister Jim Bolger had a conference, you know, a large, uh, all-encompassing conference on migration, is the time to have it again soon? I think it is because the way the population is changing now is so radically different than what we got used to until 20 years ago. And it's really important we're seeing in other countries and European countries huge anti-migrant, anti-culture, uh, against particular cultures. We've been a country that survived, uh, developed through people coming into New Zealand. Always about 25% of our population has on average been from people who are new migrants. And so migrants are part of our, our, our structure. And, and, I, and I think understanding the place and the drivers of change, because just the final point, the one thing we're missing out on so far is, of course, in individual places are having hugely different experiences. So many of the drivers for immigration into New Zealand now are about local economies rather than the national one. Interesting stuff. Len, kia ora. Thank you. That's Len Cook, a former government st- statistician of New Zealand, a companion of the Royal Society of New Zealand. He has a CBE for his international work on population Statistics. 27 past four, the panel, a word on this. This really got my eye, this one. How sweetbreads became this year's sexiest ingredient. A big response on traffic. Not so much on this, which sounds like not many people out there uh, have eaten awful. Interesting. Now, 
Sweetbreads, however, are having a resurgence overseas, London especially, but each is here also. Butter-seasoned roast sweetbreads with fennel, crumbed with quinoa. Sweetbreads are an organ meat from the thymus gland and pancreas. Other offal also on the rise. The pancreas glands of cows, lambs, your hearts, gizzards, your tripe, says one Michelin star chef. Even though it's an offal piece, you treat it like a grade A piece of meat. But not for me. Absolutely not for me. Jenny Morton in Christchurch there, what about you? Um, I'm not a particularly fussy eater, so I will try everything at least once. But? Um, well, no, but these days I'm actually predominantly vegetarian. Oh. We eat vegetarian at home, and I only eat meat sometimes if I go out for dinner. Um, but I don't see any reason why you wouldn't eat. I mean, I grew up with an English mother, so I ate steak and kidney. Um, can't say I ate liver much, but and we had tripe occasionally. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's if you'll eat fillet steak, why wouldn't you eat so, offal? So what's the difference? What do you reckon, yeah. Chris? Oh, well, I remember eating sweetbreads when we lived in Wales. It was quite a common dish, and it's quite important what you eat it with by themselves. It's not so cool, but actually with a good broth, it was stunning. But as often when I was at World Vision, late at night, we'd be sitting around somewhere in the field and talking about, so what's the worst thing that you've ever eaten? Sweetbreads never made it to the list, but the number one on the list was uh, from Mongolia. It was curdled mare's milk, which was curdled for about a year before you had to drink the stuff. So uh, there, is, there is quite a list, and on that list of... Of stuff that's hard to eat. I'm afraid sweetbreads doesn't even come close. Curdled milk for a year. Yeah. That was next level. Indeed. It was drunk on was ceremonial it occasions. <laughs> it was lumpy. It was disgusting. The advice that used to be given was whatever you do, sip it and don't whatever you do, smell it. One friend mm. of mine unfortunately got the instructions wrong and he drank the entire year's supply of Curdle's mere milk and was sick for days afterwards. But uh, sweetbreads, in contrast, completely not, innocuous. N- not a problem. Do, but if you if you went to a restaurant, if you went to a modern eater, would you would you order tripe or pancreas or liver? I'd order sweetbreads. I probably wouldn't order tripe. I had a bad experience with tripe with my grandmother when I was about four or five. But I certainly would try sweetbreads. I reckon uh, it's bring back good memories of Wales. You've got to be open to trying things. You've got to try everything once before you can say you don't like it. Very, very true. Um, Yeah, look, coming back to this uh, traffic scenario, I often drive between Auckland and Wellington and find some of the worst drivers are those who go slowly along single-lane roads and one can't overtake them, plus those drivers who sit in an overtaking lane and are not overtaking another vehicle. Another one here. There's a camera in Waimaru that is in a no-crash zone on a straight hill on the way out of town. Obviously a big earner. There would be a better idea to have the slow-down screen, the smiley or sad face. Locals know it's there, but passers through don't know they have been pinged and speed on the way to Dunedin. Here on the panel, RNZ National, just gone 4.31 time for headlines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.